This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. I, you know who you are. And I'm really glad you're here, especially today, uh, because today we have Mark Matlock. Mark is the president of WisdomWorks and the co-author of Fate for Exiles. He is also, Mark, I believe this might be your greatest accomplishment. He's also a friend of the show. Um, which I really, am a friend of the show. Yeah. I love uh, this show. <laughs> I know you are just constantly refreshing your phone on Thursdays, waiting for the new episode to drop. Um, yeah. I, thank I, you. Yeah. I'm in, t- in anticipation of it always. <laughs> so it's really great to have you back. Um, and I want to jump right in because, you know, you and I are talking before the forum, but this conversation, most people are going to hear this after the forum. Yes. And I want to jump in specifically on this just tension that I see for people independent of the child discipleship content, independent of all the areas that you're an expert in people who are within the sound of our voice right now are hopefully coming off a really great experience. And now they're in hitting that sort of like, what do I do now with all the stuff I just learned and all the stuff I'm feeling like, how do I begin to make this happen? What do you say to the leader who might be feeling overwhelmed, but wanting to make, you know, implement some of the stuff that they just heard, including wisdom from you? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I, as somebody who's put on, you know, events like this before, um, there's kind of like three kind of head spaces that people get into presenters okay. get into one is a reflective space where people are thinking, dreaming, um, more theoretical, you know, it's where you get more sometimes data driven things or theological reflection on what does it mean to disciple a child or what is this, what is the right. theology of discipleship? And, um, and so you've got this kind of reflective thing that happens really important that we have that. And then you also have what I call kind of the strategic or the social scientists. Okay. And those are the people that are like, what is the research saying? What are the reflectives doing? You know, and how, you know, what does that mean? And they're kind of applying a lot of different disciplines to the work that we have to do in the church. And they're thinking about strategies. They're thinking mm-hmm. about approaches. They're thinking about what is the theory of change around all of this? And what evidence do we have for that? So reflective is very high ideation, very abstract. Mm-hmm. The, the social scientists, the strategists are, are thinking a little bit more about, you know, how are we going to do something or what makes sense or what evidence do we have for the approach that we're taking? And then we have the third group, which are what I call the tacticians. Okay. And those are the people that say, hey, here's a book, just follow it and do it. Here's a curriculum. (laughs) If you do this every week, you know, this is going to help you. And so it's interesting to kind of know this about ourselves because we tend to gravitate as attendees at a forum toward one of these kind of lenses, right? We tend to like, Oh, I like this high ideation stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I love, (laughs) you know, thinking about that. Whereas people that are more on the tactical side go, I don't even know what they're talking about. And (laughs) what could that possibly have to do with the fact that I've got 400 kids showing up on Wednesday and I don't know what I'm doing with them, you know, and you're you're pontificating about this thing. Um, And so, and then people are like really into like, I love the psychology. I love the human flourishing studies and how this is helping us inform our faith and, you know, proving up that the stuff that Jesus taught us to do actually has, it's grounded in neuroscience and we can leverage what we've learned about neuroscience to actually do what Jesus told us to do better. Right. Right. right, right. And so there's all this wonderful stuff and we tend to gravitate toward all of these things. And, um, and so I, I find that coming off of a conference, really looking back on it and going, 
okay, what are the bigger ideas that I need to explore? Because unfortunately we don't often give ourselves enough time yeah. to, to do things well. Um, we're usually working up against a deadline. And so it's not, we're never really doing our best. We're doing the best that we can do in the time that we have yeah. before people show up. Right. <laughs> and so having that reflection time to sit there and go, what is the best I need to be doing? Mm-hmm. without a deadline. And it may take a year to figure that out. So, so, so sitting down and going, what can I implement? What, what are the bigger conversations taking that reflective thing that I need to be thinking about? Mm-hmm. What is discipleship mean for our church? Mm-hmm. What is the theological basis for our child ministry? What do we believe a child can actually experience before they're 12? What should they know if they have been a part of our children's program, what should they know by the age of 12? Those are things you're not going to try to have solved by next Wednesday or even next month. They're going to be something that take months to yeah. really work through with your team. So figure out those things. What are the long-term conversations that we need to be trying to answer? Then, you know, what are, what is that research? What is that social science stuff? What are those strategy things that inform our theory of change? How do we believe we're actually changing children? A lot of us believe, well, because I do a program that's changing them. Well, is that a good enough theory of change? Just because they show up every week, frequency actually is a theory of change. And frequently connecting with people, Harvard's research on human flourishing shows that just attending religious, attending and participating in religious community, there's no, that doesn't have to do anything with depth or what you believe or whatever, but just that has a a huge impact on your flourishing. Um, and, And so that is a theory of change. But if the more we learn, the more we understand what levers to pull and what we can do to maybe improve on that and to do that more effectively. So thinking about that, what is our theory of change and what did they say at the forum that informs how I, how we need to be operating strategically. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, 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 and strategy, the, the interesting thing about strategy is people always sometimes think that strategy is operations. It's not strategy basically helps you know how to make a choice. Oh, I like that. Strategy is all about choices. And when you're, volunteers, when your teams, when your parents understand your strategy, they can also make similar choices so that they're all supporting the same thing. Right. Yeah. And so every day we're, we're faced with thousands of choices. Most of them, we don't even frame as choices, but even my decision to be on this podcast today, right. That's a decision that I had to make. Right. Um, and, uh, so how do I know to make this decision, but there's a podcast I also turned down, which will be remain nameless. Um, uh, <laughs> but I turned down today. Why did I choose that one to turn down? But this one to say yes to, there mm-hmm. was a strategy that informed my choice. I didn't randomly just say, I'm going to toss a coin and decide which podcast I'm going to give time to today. Right. You know, it, there was a, there, there was something behind it. And in the same way, when our teams understand the strategy, they can make the right choices and we can make the right choices all together. And it really empowers your team. So really thinking that through, yeah. uh, What do people need to know? So they can make the right choice, the choice that I would make as a leader, you know, how could they make that same choice when they can do that? You've got a powerful team dynamic. Absolutely. Well, uh, there's so much good stuff there, man. And I think too, 
you know, folks who are coming off this forum and like I said, hopefully coming off a great time. We'll find out in a little bit, but uh, particularly for this community, the cadence of regularly taking that time, like you were talking about, it takes a year to begin to answer some of those questions within your context. So regularly taking that time to evaluate, because there's going to be a whole bucket of stuff that you hear or experience at the forum. That's just going to be enriching. It's just going to be like, man, I'm not alone in this man. It's so good that God is so good that he's brought a community together. Folks are focused on this, but then there's going to be hopefully a lot of stuff that you feel like you can directly take from the forum and apply to your context. Giving yourself that space to do that work well is so critical and really hard for this community. Now you said something people, people do one or two things They either, you know, they either don't have the long-term conversation, you know, or, you know, so, or, so making sure that you put it, you budget time for it, you know what I mean? And realize that, you know, over the course of the year, we want to do this. And every quarter we're going to spend some time kind of addressing this and who are the right people to have in the room to do that, you know, because you do have the tacticians, right? Yeah. And that makes up the majority of us in ministry. Just tell me what to do. You know, um, a lot of the volunteers that we have, they don't have time to sit down and develop their own theology of child discipleship and spiritual (laughs) formation. Right. right? So there's like, what do I need to do? So we want to figure out that right balance of helping them. If they have a strategy, they can apply the tactics even better. They're not just doing something by rote. They understand why they're doing it. And you want to give people that why, but, um, but, but also what are the tactics that I can put in place today? Cause there's a lot of low hanging fruit that their people are going to hear at the child discipleship forum where they can say, I can do that this week. Yep. I can do that next week. I can do that next month. And we can make that change. And you will see huge benefits just from making, you know, a certain shift in a tactic. So thinking about, you know, the reflective, the, the, the strategy, social yep. science part, and then the, the tactical, it's just a helpful way to break down your, your, your summit experience. Totally. And you said something about strategy that I want to lean into next, because you are someone who is uniquely positioned in, I feel like the, the shortest way to describe it is you were talking about Gen Z before it was cool. You are also working on um, a project with the folks, uh, Pete Scazzaro and his team, uh, the, which all I know internally, it's called the Emotionally Healthy Teens Project. Can you give folks who are listening yeah. just any sense of that, of what, what to expect there? Yeah. So uh, earlier this year, um, uh, Pete Scazzaro and his team reached out and um, basically they're, they were looking at how can we contextualize emotionally healthy discipleship, which is emotionally healthy relationships and emotionally healthy spirituality. So love God, mm-hmm. emotionally healthy spirituality, love others, emotionally healthy relationships. That makes up the two halves of mm-hmm. emotionally healthy discipleship. Um, and uh, how could we do this for teenagers? And I've been involved in doing some teen versions of other books for, you know, JP Moreland, who's a philosopher. We did a book called Smart Faith Together, which okay. is a teen adaptation of Love the Lord Your God with All Your Mind. And um, what was interesting is when I when I sat down, somebody said, well, what we want you to do is kind of take JP's book and dumb it down for teenagers. And I go, huh. if the book's called Smart Faith. <laughs> You don't dumb that down, you know? Um, and uh, and uh, I did a, a God story, your story with uh, Max Lucado. And um, one of the things that, you know, we're really trying to do is figure out how do we contextualize this right. for teenagers? So 
Um, so what I loved about Pete was he was saying to me, I don't just want you to write a version of this. I want you to actually lead youth pastors and teenagers through this over a three-year period. So this is like a three-year journey that we are just embarking on uh, this September of 2021. Okay, great. Um, and we'll be doing multiple cohorts over the next uh, three years before it actually gets to a you know pub-ready version because we want to walk through teens. And think about that. You know, a lot of why uh, the Pete's work on emotionally healthy spirituality has resonated with so many pastors is that they were spiritually unhealthy yeah. and emotionally unhealthy. And Pete is so transparent about his 20 year journey of recognizing his unhealth and then trying to get there. And he's documented all and everything that he's done is just documented what he did and what worked. <laughs> and then he did it yeah. with his leadership and then he did it with his church. Yeah. So it makes sense that I can't just take his book and put some teen you know, lingo in there and it work. And, and the other part is, is that a lot of the people that are reading the book are adults. They're in their thirties mm -hmm. and forties and their glass is half empty. They're yep. realizing I'm lacking a teenager's mm -hmm. glass is not half empty. It's half full, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it hasn't been filled up all the way yet. And mm -hmm. so we're actually putting something into their life. That's a really different approach. So I love Pete's vision around just, we really need to contextualize this for teenagers. We need to take this content and we need to walk with them through their lives. So I'm working with him and then Matt Mano, who's the, um, the next gen pastor at new life church, oh, okay. where this is a part of their culture. He and I are kind of, uh, co-leading this project, um, to, uh, to get that done. And it's just, it's exciting to um, just to be a part of people that want to really help people follow Jesus. And the last time we talked, you, you said something really uh, that's just stuck with me. That was very compelling about this idea of nostalgia mm -hmm. and how um, I'm going to badly misquote you to you, which is, you know, for those of you out here who have a podcast, <laughs> like that's always podcasting one-on-one, um, but danger, danger. <laughs> But what I think is so critical for this particular generation is that the rest of us recognize that this is an entirely different world. Yes. And we are trying to disciple them through something that we ourselves didn't experience the same way they are experiencing. I'm not yeah. an expert in Gen Z like you are. Can you begin to unpack just on like a really macro level, the ways in which what this current generation is going through is different with the leader who maybe was... Gen X, maybe it was baby boomer, maybe even was the greatest generation experience. Just on like a macro level, what is this generation experiencing that is, we'll say, most often misunderstood by those who are trying to disciple them? Yeah. So um, it's a great, great question. I think a lot of us are feeling the pressure of this. I mean, division is like the buzzword, right? Yeah. Everybody's divided. Families are divided. Denominations are divided. I mean, the division is just everywhere. And it's just, you know, the, the polarization of things. And it's like, how do we get here? Um, but, um, but generational division is, is really critical because, you know, my work wisdom works, we're all about how does one generation pass down or accelerate the yeah. transfer of wisdom into another, to a young person's life. The Bible seems to indicate <laughs> that, uh, that we can accelerate our acquisition of wisdom by following the word of God by living in the way of Jesus, right? And that there's this wisdom that comes down from above and there's wisdom that comes from below the earth. So we got to discern those two kinds of wisdom. But 
if we have a generational divide, there's no way to pass that generation, that wisdom down from yeah. one generation to the next. So what we've got is we've got a lot of wisdom. We've got a generation that for the first time actually has a bunch of skills and are living, have grown up in a world that is very different than the one everybody else is in and actually knows some stuff that the older generation needs to know. And yeah. it's more than just setting your VCRs, but it's a whole new imagination. You know, like I look at some of these, some of these TikTok evangelists and I'm like going, I, as much as I'm in the media and I am on the edge of what's going on and try to keep my finger on the pulse of today, I would never think to use TikTok in the way that some of them are thinking about using it because they are imagining it from a different place generationally than I am. Totally. And so their, their basis of imagination, even though I'm tolerant, I'm accepting of it, I'm embracing it. I'm like on it. I'm, I'm just marveling at, wow. Yeah. They're coming up with things that I just never would have thought of. So this is the first time. And it really started with the millennials that we had a generation that actually had something that was really valuable for the older generations yeah. But the older generations still have something valuable for the younger generations. And that is wisdom. That is yeah. experience, knowledge that has been earned and forged over time. Mm -hmm. And it can be passed down if that generation is willing. And what we're finding is, is that Generation Z, a lot of millennials are looking for mentors. They're looking for older people, but older generations often shut them down because they, they fail to... You know, they try to get them to conform to a world that no longer exists. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Were you at the Child Discipleship Forum? Were you able to join us in Nashville or online for this crucial conversation about the future of the faith? If you missed it, I want you to go to childdiscipleshipsimulcast.com right now. There, you're going to see information about how to access content from the forum in a video on demand format so that you can quickly access the speakers that will resonate the most with your ministry context. The last thing any of us at Awana would want is for the conversations that started at the forum to end at the forum. Continue the conversation at childdiscipleshipsimulcast.com. So David and I in Faith for Exiles, we, we call this digital Babylon. This idea that there is a global reality that the internet has brought, a global culture, a globalization of a secular culture that is very different than the world that we've lived in. And the United States, because of you know some of the Christian values that shaped and formed it, has enjoyed a pseudo- uh experience right uh yeah. you know in some segments of this you know this uh american dream yep and what's happened with with our ability to now hear all of these diverse voices we find out well not everybody's experienced that dream right uh and you know what there are other histories that are now available to us that we didn't ever have access to before right you know um we were only taught what we were taught in school and you know we all know that history the victors are the ones who get to shape history right but all of a sudden you start hearing some of these other things you're like going well wait a minute that's really different than what i grew up believing or whatever it's very disorienting yeah and for older generations there's a lot of and we just want to go away Yes. But the reality is we have another, we have a generation that's growing up in it 
and they're very secure. So that's the first thing we have to realize. We're living in, we are no longer living in a bubble. We are living in a very diverse, the, the census data just came out and yeah. we're seeing, you know, an increase in diverse peoples. Mm. And, um, and, and that, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. That's what God called us to, mm-hmm. but, uh, but that is going to create some disequilibrium that for a lot of people, that kind of news is threatening for a lot of white people. Uh, that <laughs> news is probably threatening. And so we have to be honest about that, uh-huh. you know? Oh my gosh. We have, to, yes. we have to, we have to get in touch with that. And we have to realize that, that maybe we have a bubble that's going to burst a little bit. So that's yeah. the first thing. So one of those, can I things, lean into that really quickly? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So the, what I find so compelling about you had framed it around nostalgia is that immediately. So I think about this in the context of my dad and I, right. My dad and I are very Uh close, but we're obviously different generations. And when I began to look at it at some of his, you know, some of the ways in which he looks at the world and I look at the world differently, when I begin to recognize that he is looking at it from a lens of nostalgia of recognizing that they've, that we've lost something or something's changed. Mm -hmm. And that was just the water that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. It immediately yep. gave me a greater sense of empathy for his worldview. And yep. in communicating that he was able to understand that I was coming from a different place. And I feel yes. like that generational divide is so easily crossed when you begin to look at it the way that you're talking about. So, yeah. When we have some humility uh, yeah. and, and, you know, but it is disoriented. It is like a fish all of a sudden reason, realizing that they're breathing water. Yes. Um, and, and that's what's happening to a lot of people is they're realizing, oh, you know, uh, I, I didn't realize how comfortable I was with things and now they're changing and I'm aware of it. Yeah. And that that's a very disorienting experience to realize, oh, I'm in a fishbowl. You yeah, know, and, and we all are. Every one of us is to some extent. You well, know, and you um, and you brought up too, like there also at a certain level, there is no putting the genie back in the bottle. Right. So I do hope that even for folks where some of the more polarizing conversations just bring them great distress or discomfort. Also recognize that the church has an opportunity to be a leader in this position. The church was designed to lead people through this uh, gray area. That's why the intergenerational work. And and this is why the body of Christ does not have age limitations on it. (laughs) If you have the Holy spirit in you, you are a member of the body of Christ, right? Amen. Yeah. Uh, You have been grafted into the body of Christ. And yet we wait until people reach a certain age before we really start asking them. So as you, you're part of the body of Christ, like (laughs) how does your piece function? How does your organ and form and alter and is dependent and I'm dependent on you. And, and that's where generationally, because they're growing up in this different world and their imagination is different around things, we have to lean into them a little bit more than maybe traditionally we've, we've, and I don't know that it was ever right. I didn't live back then, but, (laughs) um, you know, but I think it's always been healthy to pay attention to what younger generations are, how they're seeing and experiencing the world because of the imagination that they have for what the body of Christ can do. Totally. And you, and just really quickly, you touched on that, which I think is really important. When I think about, you know, older generation, my father thinking, you know, cause you had said when you're in this stage of life where you're a teenager, you know, you're there's some of this is all very natural that every teenager in history has thought I have a better idea than the generation before me, but the difference, the magnitude of what this generation of kids is experiencing compared to what I experienced or compared to what my dad experienced that we have to pay attention to that Delta because otherwise we are selling the chain short and we're making the division wider before we can even start doing that work. 
Uh, yeah, G- Gary Thomas in Sacred Parenting, he kind of yeah. talks about this idea that our children, you know, shape our, you know, our faith, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, he, and I call that the Luke Skywalker effect, where Luke Skywalker <laughs> redeems his father, right? Yeah. And in some ways, um, as older generations, we have an opportunity to expand our capacity for the kingdom mm-hmm. by paying attention to what this younger generation's thinking about and how they're seeing the world because they are exposing fragile parts of the way that we viewed things that we fuse some things together. They're unbundling them. And that's very difficult for us. And the other thing is that the center of Christianity has really moved out of the United States. Mm. Um, It's, it's, it's in Southeast Asia. It's among the African continents. That's where we're seeing resilient discipleship thrive. We've done project for world vision uh, called the connected generation, where we were looking at the faith practices and beliefs of, um, of millennials and millennial Christians in particular, we're doing one right now on teenagers, a global study of teenagers in 25 different countries, um, just like we did with the millennial study. And what we're finding is, is that the kind of the center of where Christianity is dynamically being practiced has shifted in, in the globe. And for That's America, that is hard, right? Yeah. And they're kind of looking at us going, you know what? I don't know that American Christianity, that's a little too fused with politics. It's a little too, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a little, you know, has a certain lens that it's reading and interpreting the scriptures from. And we have an opportunity to learn, to breathe in from our brothers and sisters globally and learn and get a richer picture of what God, who God is and what he's doing in the world. And that's really? always exciting always yeah. exciting but that's why we have to think about the body of the christ and the fact and the fact that while i have my part to play i'm dependent on all the other parts and that means i'm dependent on the children in that are believers as well totally um, that 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 they are not while they are physically and generationally maybe dependent on me i am spiritually dependent on them somehow according to what Paul talks about the body of Christ. Yep. They are a part of the body that is necessary for us to function. We yeah. don't always treat them that way. We treat them as, well, this is our farm team, you know, <laughs> and, and, um, and we have to realize, you know, I always ask that in my own parenting, how am I dependent on my children right now for yeah. who I am becoming as a, you know, and identifying with my children less as a parent child. And now more as, especially as they're getting into their twenties. Right. Seeing them as we're more brother and sister in Christ than we are parent child. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful thing to start thinking about generations that way. Totally. So, you know, and another really big thing generationally is mental health. We know that yeah. this generation, you know, millennials have bec- are starting to be called the most unlucky generation <laughs> because, you know, they've, you know, they've had so it, key moments in their development. They've had major disruptions. Mm-hmm. Every institution, every hero that could be counted on failed them during their identity formation years and beyond. And now the pandemic just, hey, as we're entering into the middle age, into our 40s, uh, now we got this thing. You know, yep. mm-hmm. it's like well, one more thing. Yeah. But Gen Z, this has become much more normative. Yeah. But Gen Z is growing up in their identity forming years in the most unchristian uh, population in the United States that we've ever experienced. And so we have to ask ourselves, how is that shaping a generation? Um, there are, it's, you know, it's a different world. They don't know a lot of basics. I was just at a church in Atlanta, uh, in a, in a house church 
okay. they had all these several people that aren't really typically church attending. And I'm just even seeing the worship going Do these people. Could they even understand what grace means? And mm. we're talking about the blood of Jesus. And they even know, like, does that sound gross? I'm washing in the blood <laughs> of Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, for me, these are very deep. They have deep meaning and they're the, you know, the result of years of reflection uh, right. on these concepts. But for somebody coming in from the outside, it's like, ew, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you're washing in the blood of a lamb, you know? And so we have to realize that we have a generation that's emerging that doesn't have this happening. Like the 10 commandments. I, I learned about the 10 commandments a lot through on Easter, you know, yep. on one of the five channels that we got, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the 10 commandments was on TV. And, mm -hmm. you know, the big thing was my dad always saying that didn't happen. That didn't happen <laughs> that way. You know what I mean? And so I learned that, you know, <laughs> kind of the Bible through, you know, the mistelling of the story in so many sure. ways, but, um, but also you just realized the culture in general had some knowledge about things, mm -hmm. not so much anymore. It's a different, right. it's a different thing. And so that that's, that's a different world. The other thing is in the area of mental health. Um, because of all of these changes, what people don't realize is maybe when you went to college, you had five options, if that, <laughs> right? Um, this generation has thousands of options yeah. when they graduate from high school. And they're not even sure that higher education is the right option. The pandemic's even increased that, right? Right. They are stressed out just by the number of options. We sit there and I go, oh my gosh, you guys have it so easy. Look at what you have access to. They are overwhelmed by it. Yep. Because we are now mature, we have the discipline to make the choices, mm -hmm. right? And to navigate some of that, they are just overwhelmed and the fear of I'm going to pick the wrong path or I'm going to do the wrong thing. That's created a lot of anxiety in this generation. Yeah. Even though they're hyper-connected, they also are feeling very lonely. Mm -hmm. um, and so while they're connected, there is this loneliness and isolation that they're feeling. It's a very interesting thing. And this isn't just in the United States. This is, we're observing these things globally among the generation. So, but the other thing is this generation's grown up in an era of positive psychology, um, where, you know, strength finders, that was an aha idea for a lot of us. What I should live into my strengths and not yeah. worry too much about pulling my weaknesses up. This generation, that is the water that they swim in, right? Yep. And they've been told how to identify those things, how to live in those things. They've also been told how to set boundaries, mm -hmm. how to have a whole a, a whole healthy life, right? Now, they're obviously not living into it because we're seeing these high, but they also, mental health has been destigmatized. Right. So they're a lot more transparent about it. Right. So while some of their numbers are up, some of that's just because they're willing to share it or they have a name for it. And that's not a bad thing. Oh, so wow. it's hard to know, are they really more emotionally unhealthy than generations before them? Or are they just more willing to say, I am depressed because they can acknowledge it as that they yeah. have language and a vocabulary around it as older adults. We don't have that. And so when we see young people, you know, setting boundaries or saying, I'm not going to do that or whatever. They've been empowered to do that. You know, yeah. this whole Simone uh, Biles thing that happened at the Olympics, right? right? Where she said, I'm not going to compete. First of all, you know, 
too many people talked about that. Like they have any idea what it's like to be her. Oh my goodness. You it's know a whole I mean? separate podcast about the internet right. reaction to that one specific incident. Yes. Right. Oh my goodness. Yes. But, but, but let's just look at this fact and go, she felt empowered in a way that athletes have never felt empowered for part of it's because she has an audience. Mm-hmm. She has a power as an influencer that no other athlete had. They were all handled mm-hmm. by managers and uh, coaches, you know, coaches and, and PR people yep. and all that. But now they have a lot more direct access through Instagram, Twitter, things like that. They're much more closer in touch with their fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so th- they're feeling empowered that, you know, I can say no to this and I need mm-hmm. to say no. To this. I didn't say no or I didn't speak up when this was happening. And now I need to speak up because I've learned that I, you know, that that's the healthy. So, you know, we have a generation that's doing that as older adults, we need to stop being jealous of them for doing what we wish we could do (laughs) and kind of start saying, you know what, that's awesome that you're able to do that. Even though as your employer, I'm not real happy about that choice as your parent. I don't understand. I just want to say, suck it up, you know, and do the work but maybe they're making the better choice and maybe we need to reward them for that and applaud them for that. And maybe we need to learn something from it ourselves. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to ResilientDisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album, Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.